Welcome to another edition of Everyone Hates Cleveland, the podcast. That's right. We are still alive. We might roam around Twitter here and there, but we actually talk about podcasts probably probably 14 times a week. And we finally just decided, screw it, let's do it. So, Gage, it's not like I haven't talked to you like a million times over the past month, but how the hell are you? Well, I'm talking about the Indians, so I couldn't do better. <laughs> Well, the Cavs are playing. We could talk Cavs. They're 500. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Maybe we should. All right. Screw the Cavs. Screw the Browns. We could talk Baker Mayfield, but that that's for Twitter. Um, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just kick things off with probably the topic that will be talked about the most over the coming two years or however long Lindor happens to be a member of the Cleveland Indians. Let's talk Francisco Lindor. Obviously, he's going to be a hot name. Uh, in the off season for the uh, realistic fans gauge, he's going to be a guy that that's talked about in trade um, for the unrealistic fan. He's going to be talked about as a potential signing for the Indians. Uh, so let's just avoid that kind of balance, like which is going to happen. And let's just focus on the trade talk because uh, I do think for the Indians to sign him, I mean, I mean, let's be realistic for the Indians to sign Francisco Lindor. I mean, you have to think that Lindor is looking uh, in two years potentially as being the the highest free agent signing in the history of baseball. I mean, I know, I know, I know Trout's number is big, but I think that perhaps Lindor is, is searching for that per year mark. Uh, I mean, is, is that, what are you thinking? I, we haven't actually talked specifically about this gauge. Do you think that, that Lindor is looking for like a 36, 37, possibly 40 million per contract, maybe eight years, uh, as opposed to that, that really long deal that, that Trout signed? I think it'd be more along the lines of a trout thing. And I don't know if he'll surge past trout. It's hard to project. He had a little bit of a down year by his standards last year, but either way, I would expect the length to be maximized with him because I mean, this is just his one shot, whether it signs for eight years or 10 or 12 or whatever trout signed for it's it's his one go crack at it. I don't think there's much value in signing a ton of money now and then hoping to get another one when you're 36. So so being realistic, I mean <laughs> unless unless I uh, you know, I'm not really sure when the Indians TV deal is up. Um obviously I think their next TV deal is going to be pretty sizable. I mean, just as kind of throwing a dart into the wind if the rumors are true and the Indians contract is 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 going to get renewed in say 2024 is it possible the Indians maybe throw a number at him knowing that that down the line they're going to get a big boost in revenue because the Indians being a top 5 team and and uh, views uh, as far as TV revenue goes um it's possible that the Indians sign a pretty sizable deal billion dollar deal um would that open the door to perhaps maybe offering Lindor a deal is that why uh, Antonetti is slowly kind of reeling back what, what Dolan said at the beginning of the season, or is this just PR? I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, <laughs> but you, you kind of had just put me in this position, Jim. I'm sorry. Well, no, you know, but, I like to serve, I like this, I like to serve up the, uh, I like to serve up the really bad sets. <laughs> Antonetti is just a much better PR man than Paul Dolan. <laughs> I mean, He's not talking about what CD's got on a Southwest flight. He's, 
I felt like, yeah, the Indians are going to throw a number at them, and it's probably going to be laughably bad, and you're just going to have to move on from there. Like, and it won't be laughably bad from the Indians' perspective. It'll be bigger than anything they've ever given to anybody. But I still feel like that divide is just too large. And I, I don't know where you stand on it, but it, it just feels like he's I mean, he's making I mean, here's the thing, Gage. He's making three hundred million dollars. And I, yeah. I just don't I mean, and that's probably that's probably the floor. You know, I don't know what's going to happen in 2021. I know the players, believe it or not, feel suppressed a bit in the amount of money that they're making. So I think the union's going to be playing hardball. I think Lindor is going to be looking at a, at a perhaps even more open in um, collective bargaining agreement, uh, you know, come 2022 or who knows, maybe 2023 and we miss a season. Um, I, th- I think that that Lindor very smartly isn't going to do anything for the next couple of years, uh, which makes makes this year kind of an interesting year for the Indians because they know that as well. I mean, the Indians aren't signing a guy for $300 million, are they? No, and, and that's why I say, like, if I was constructing in my head while, just a second ago while you were – let's say the Indians maximize, like, whatever deal they could throw at Lindor, and I, I honestly got to, like, seven – years 210 mil something like that and which would be an incredible deal for the indians i mean you'd be getting him probably at a bargain right and i just couldn't bring myself to think they'd go any higher than that that was my like superficial indian ceiling And, and i mean to put that in perspective you know 30 million i mean i don't i don't know what we think the payroll ceiling is but thirty million is a good chunk of that. I mean, you're looking at possibly, I mean, somewhere in the realm of a quarter or more of a of a Indian's payroll. And I'm not saying down the road. I mean, obviously the payroll increases, but I just, I mean, that's that's kind of a ceiling for the Indians. I think that's that's Lindor floor. Yeah, and even if you wanted to be nice, the nicest possible about the Indians' potential payrolls and project it up to like 150, which is already way too high. That's 20 percent, and which it's kind of a segue into my something I've struggled with is that the Indians, they haven't won a world series title and it'll be 72 years next year. Yeah. Is it their obligation in, in, in any sporting venture, I consider the fans stakeholders. They buy tickets, they they pay for TV, they buy merch. So the Indians have an obligation to their shareholders to put their best foot forward. And where I go back to, is it their obligation to best position themselves to make a run at the World Series for their fan base or to pacify them with keeping Francisco Lindor in an Indians uniform? And that might sound silly as hell, but I really wonder like, if there's some value beyond what happens on the field in the Indians' eyes because they need – and letting Lindor go is going to take off a lot of shareholders, no matter how foreseeable it is. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it does feel like, I mean, if you look at the Indians minor league organization, it certainly feels like the Indians are building for uh, um, kind of an overlap here in the next two years where we start to see some of these younger guys start to, to maneuver there. We're going to talk 40-man roster here in a minute, but uh, it does seem like we're going to start to see an influx of these guys on the 40-man roster and then, uh, we're probably a year or two away from from another influx. So the the window for the Indians is is very intriguing and interesting. 
But when you're talking about a top five player in all of baseball and perhaps one of the top two or three faces of baseball, um, it does get very interesting. I think, you know, as we shift the Lindor talk, you know, as we go into a more realistic place, um, you know, with Lindor, uh, with two years left in his contract, uh, if you're going to maximize value and return gauge, now's the time to do it, right? I mean, if, if, I mean, as much as I hate to say it, and of course, my first tweet the second the season ended was, here we go. Lindor, bullshit Lindor talk. Um, that bullshit Lindor talk of, you know, that we're going to get. And of course, <laughs> Our first podcast in like four months, and what are we talking about? Lindor trade talk. But, I mean, that's the reality of it. I think over the past month, I've come to the reality that uh, the Indians are likely going to at least entertain offers. Uh, do do you think the Indians actually entertain offers uh, this offseason and look for a blockbuster trade? Or are they just looking to get a maximized um, offer uh, or are they going to wait? I mean, is, is are they in the waiting game knowing that they still are in a window to potentially uh, make a run at the World Series? I kind of have it in my head that they're just in this like, oh, we'll listen to what anybody says, but we're going to turn it down mode right now. And I think it'll kind of play out that way until at least the deadline I, I, can you imagine what what'll happen if the Indians have another slow start this year with those Lindor talks? Like say like if they're seven games out in the division and at the beginning of July, they're 500. There's some hope that they compete, but those talks are going to be at a fever pitch. Yeah. It, and so and I, I could be mistaken here, but I always kind of get the vibe that when you're talking about, I was thinking about this with Manny Machado a few years ago, when you're talking about two versus one and a half years of control, that gap is marginal. But if you go all the way down to one year control, it feels like there's a big cliff there that it drops off. So trading Lindor, I feel like his value will decrease slightly throughout the season until the trade deadline and then just kind of fall off a little mini cliff and plateau somewhere for next off season. So it's really to me the next nine months you have to make this decision and size up all your offers. And I don't know how you feel about that, but one and a half versus two years doesn't isn't that big for me on the package side because you still get them for the two post seasons. Well and that's the big thing and I think, you know, as as much as I hate to say it, we're kind of in an era where maximizing his trade potential is, is pretty high as as you noted, uh, at one point, I think right before you know the championship series of both leagues started, we're in an era where you know the top you know eight teams in payroll are also the top you know seven, six, seven, eight teams fighting in the playoffs. You're looking at you know Yankees. You're looking at you know the teams um, in there right now. The the Astro or the the Nationals and Astros are top eight, and they're going to be going up next year. Um, you're looking at a, in a, a very interesting situation. The Dodgers, of course, up there with 200 plus million dollar dollar payroll. Um, you're looking at a lot of teams that can afford Lindor, um, perhaps looking for that that leap um, into like World Series relevancy. Uh, you know, whoever wins the game tonight, um, you know, obviously you have other teams who are going to be hungry. I mean, you look at the Dodgers, for example, a team that. Uh, probably over the past four or five years consistently has been one of the best teams in baseball, if not the best team, uh, at least regular season wise. And, you know, there's a team that 
um, were several games under 500 in May and came um, kind of launching into the equation. Uh, but a big payroll team that might be looking for a Lindor. So maybe we just, you know, I think I think that's the big thing. And and honestly, you know, going past that year and a half, even if it's a one playoff situation, I think if you get the right two or three teams maybe looking to try to maximize a window, he could still get have some of that relevant value. But I do agree with you. Two playoffs, I mean, that's a big deal. And I, I still think that also uh, when you're talking about a guy shooting for $300 million, don't you think, Gage, that – uh, having him on your team kind of gives you maybe a little bit of insight. Take, for example, the Dodgers, um, who I think are going to be one of the top two. I mean, I, I think obviously Dodgers, Yankees are teams that are going to be looking at Lindor um, in the next two years. But, but you know, don't you think – But l- let's say that, you know, the Dodgers have been, been – you know, the Dodgers and Indians have been connected for, for a year and a half, it seems, at the hip. Um, the Dodgers might be looking to, to perhaps – uh, bring him in this year to maybe silence a little bit of the Los Angeles crowd, maybe frustrated. Don't you think that if the Dodgers can figure out a way to get him, and, and however they decide to, and we'll talk about the the pieces here in a second, but don't you think that if if Lindor comes to the Dodgers this offseason, um, immediately uh, that puts them in the realm of potentially signing him long-term? I mean, it gives them the head start, right? Yeah, you've hit on that a few times and kind of put it in my head that – I'm probably discounting that value. I have been. You so let's say for whatever they come to the table with Lux and some other premier prospect and say it's an ideal scenario for the Indians and offer this can't refuse package. The Indians trade them, and now they have two years to maybe not negotiate fully, but just kind of back channel, like feel them out and have that edge. Now, what's interesting about that to me, though, is the Dodgers are very judicious with their payroll. So I wonder, I mean, they have a large payroll. It's top one or two every year, but they still haven't really signed that big contract. And they have Cody Bellinger down the road to think about, too, which is undoubtedly going to be a factor and he's uh, he's probably going to push Lindor for that contract whenever that when that day comes in 2025 or whatever that number is but that's the thing with these big contracts there's only a few clubs that can get it can offer it so like you said before when the Indians are talk are selling Lindor those clubs that are going to potentially maybe be in that market are probably going to be where their best value is all right, so let's talk value. Um, I, this is this is probably the single most, the single most. You know, Gage and I and and Mike, we we good friends, but we love to argue about stuff like this. This is a, this is something we argue about a lot, and I think probably we end up in the middle with with an actual deal. That's why I think we work so well together. But just what what's your non-negotiable? I mean, say you're dealing with a team like the Dodgers, um, what's your non-negotiable? And I, I kind of I'm kind of now I am serving you a. I'm serving you a good set for a spike here. Um, who's the guy you have to get? I think you probably already mentioned him. Yeah, Gavin Lux. <laughs> and I don't know if they – Andrew Friedman's a pretty savvy with his top-build prospects. Him and – them and the Rays are the two clubs that I would be most hesitant about dealing with in general. I, it, wouldn't let, it wouldn't stop me, but it might make me rethink my valuation a little bit. <laughs> but well, I, think the, get, I mean, I think that's probably why Kluber – I think that's probably why Kluber never ended up over in in L.A. I mean, I think that 
you know, we look at Friedman the same way that probably Friedman looks at Antonetti and, and Chernoff, to be perfectly honest. I think you're talking about, and you throw the, the Rays in there and uh, maybe a couple of, maybe now the Red Sox with some of their very, very interesting hires in their front office. I mean, it's kind of fun watching these guys kind of tiptoe around each other. That's why I think, I think ultimately, I mean, Lux has to be included in that deal. I think it's one of those deals where, you know, the tiptoeing ends up at both of them looking at, you know, one side looking at Lindor and the other side looking at Lux and saying, yeah, this is the pain that we're going to have to feel. Um, so, so I think Lux is the given there. But here's where it gets interesting because Lux is a big deal, and he proved it this year uh, making a nice jump to the big leagues. Um, the question from there, though, is, is what else? You know, you have Lindor who – um, the Dodgers are going to say is a two-year guy, and then we have to try to sell him to some ridiculous deal. Um, the Indians are going to be selling, well, we're giving you Lindor for two years. You get two-year window to try to sign him. And in reality, you're looking at a probably a, a floor of 12 years. You know, If you sign him to that 10-year deal, you're looking at a 10- to 12-year window where you're looking at possibly – you know, and maybe this isn't the measurable, but you're looking at a possibly floor six F war guy over that time period. Um, so that's going to be the Indian selling point. You know, what's the get back? I mean, can they get Lux plus? I mean, can they get Lux plus like a Ruiz and a May? I mean, you're looking at three top five guys. I don't think that's going to happen. But don't you think that's the kind of deal that's going to make Antonetti stop tiptoeing? Yes. I mean, like that that's like the when I say they'll listen, but turn it down, they call and say Gavin Lux plus one. <laughs> then you're like, holy shit, how do we prep the fan base for this? <laughs> no, uh, I, I want to pose a different scenario, too. And a guy that actually Craig Goldstein, uh, baseball, or, uh, I think he's a baseball prospectus writers, writer at this point, but. He posed an interesting one with Corey Seager being part of the deal. Now, Seager has two years of control like Lindor. He, they, they both hit free agency at the same time. His ARB number is going to be lower, which is, as much as we hate it, attractive. And he's a couple years off with some injuries, a couple years off a 6-4 campaign of his own. So... The deal that happens without Lux automatically has Seager and two premier prospects in it to me. Then maybe it's like a May and a Ruiz, like a Seager, May, and Ruiz. That's another one that I think maybe, and I don't know, like I said, Friedman is very judicious about this, so maybe we're just barking up a tree that doesn't exist right now. But that Seager hypothetical might be a risk management thing for the Indians where they can say, Man, we know his ceiling is somewhere just south of Lindor, probably. And if we can get these other two prospects in that deal, then we're just taking a 10% downgrade or whatever you value that as, probably more. I'm probably overrating Seager a little bit. Plus, we're getting these two shares of this at player X and player Y. So that that that's pretty interesting to me, too, when you think about like a 2021 and 2020 team building perspective i mean seager you know and i we talked about seager quite a bit and i think our hang-up was trading two years of lindor for two years of seager but the reality for seager is you're looking at a guy who 
I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think I think two years ago was sitting at like six six and a half F four guy, a guy who was considered elite, like kind of how we were looking at um, a couple of other guys that the Indians were possibly going to deal Kluber for last year. But I mean, so my question to you is again, this this might be a PR piece gauge, but. Um, you know, if you get two of their top prospects and you get a Seager, that probably makes a whole lot of sense baseball-wise. I think you'll probably have a lot of guys in the Indians' front office. We probably would be happy with that deal. Um, is that too big of a PR hit, though, when you're not getting – I mean, I think, you know, we've done a really good job <laughs> promoting Lux as being pretty special. Um, I know some other people that we respect highly think that as well. Um, and then he comes up and plays very well this year. I mean – is this one of those things where if they make a deal and they don't get the guy that the PR hit? I mean, but does the PR hit? You, you mentioned, you know, we are kind of where we are here with the fan base. I mean, what's the hit? I mean, if, if they do have a bad PR, I mean, what's the hit? Are we going to go from 21st in attendance to 28th? Like, and what's the big deal there? I mean, it's, we're still going to be watching them on TV, right? Yeah, I think the Indians are kind of are definitely a drug to a lot of people. They, they'll talk about quitting it all the time and they'll. Oh yeah. I'm, but I I'm, mean, if, if that, if you do that for five or six Saturdays in the summer, I don't think losing Lindor is going to stop you from doing it for five or six Saturdays next summer. Of course, there's going to be blowback. And of course it would, there's going to be a lot of people that have a problem with the return, no matter what it is, because it's Francisco freaking Lindor. And I hate that we're talking about this, but I, I don't think the, the Indians are in a position where there's a ton of risk moving Lindor past the initial blowback stage. I think and I, I, I've been hurt. I've been beating this drum and maybe you're, you you do not feel as strongly, but when it comes to treading these waters, there might not be anybody else I respect more than this current Indians front office. I think they've tipped, they'll, like you said, tiptoe. They, they tiptoe carefully with, like with Bauer and Kluber. I was at one point going to be happy with Fran Meal in a P in a flyer for Bauer. <laughs> and then it turned into Fran Meal and a cheap half season of Puig and plus three really interesting flyers. So, I, I do. I don't want to set our sights too low either. Well, I think I think you know one of the things that that intrigues me the most about you know you mentioned Fran Reyes and you were you were high on him long before anybody was even talking about him. Um, the interesting thing about the Indians and, and Antonetti is they seem to find these pipelines, and um, you know you go back two years to when they first started talking about you know Brad Hand, and obviously the Indians were eyeballing the the San Diego Padres for a reason, you know, a loaded, stacked minor league organization, where the Indians were just starting to build their minor league organization, and was very interesting and extremely astute um, coming from the Indians front office is that they started pegging guys perhaps on the other end of those prospect talks, and you can see over the past, you know, 18 months that the Indians have started picking at the, at the I don't want to say leftovers of the San Diego Padres, but if you look at their their upper minor leagues, they have, and, and including their their 40-man roster, they have, um, and I probably should have counted this before the podcast, but our podcasts are very erratic, so I didn't. But, you know, you've got, you know, guys like Mayton, you've got guys like Hand, you've got guys like, um, you know, uh, Logan Allen. I mean, they, they, they've been pecking and picking at the, at the Padres for a while. They find these pipelines and they keep hitting them. 
um, you know, early 2000s, it was it was Seattle that they were kind of pecking at in Texas. Uh, it seems like they the, the thing I like the best about this front office is they 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 stay quiet and they find their little pieces um, and then they find their guys through that. Um, I don't know if the Dodgers are, are a team like that. I mean, that's the thing with a guy like Lindor. Um, you know, we overlook like a team like San Diego, who, you know, is a team that in many respects is going to start climbing up the ladder. They make a huge deal um, to Manny Machado. You know, could we be overlooking the pipeline that, that the Indians have been going to over and over again? I mean, might there be a big deal for for a team like San Diego who may want to take a leap and maybe eyeballing the Dodgers as being kind of, um, you know, Kershaw's not getting any younger. Uh, their their system is a little less sound as it was a couple years ago. I mean, maybe there's something there. But, you know, my question to you is this. Um, if Lindor moves, it's probably not going to be a team we're thinking of right now, is it? I mean, the Reds traded for a year and a half of Trevor Bauer while sitting in the cellar of the NL Central. So, <laughs> Well, but there's just, another there's another team that the Indians kind of pipeline a little bit. Yeah, and I want to hit on that because you've – I've always enjoyed when you bring it up because it really hits home for me. They, I like like when you when you go to make a trade with somebody. Let's take the Jake Bowers to from Tampa. You're sitting there and it's all about information gathering, right? You're you can you can do all your due diligence. You can have all your scouts give you all their input. You can check you can scan every metric known to man and project them how you want. But there's still a lot of unknown with somebody from a different system. Like, that's what Bowers flamed out in year one. I'm really high on him still, maybe too high. But there was a lot of unknown in that area that the Indians were just ta- – you're taking a leap of faith at that point. So when you talk about pipelining other systems, like continuously trading with the Reds and Padres, maybe having success with deals with clubs like that, makes you trust your information gathering a little a little bit more. Makes you understand like okay, we've had some good we've had some good experience with these Padres pros, or prospects or Reds prospects or Cardinals, there's another one. Yeah. Yeah, historically, yeah. Cardinals and Indians are always making good trades um, for both so clubs. We've had some success there. Maybe they're uh, minor leagues and farm systems are a little more translatable to what our due diligence looks like and what our information gathering looks like. So I always love that point. And trades are on, built on trust. You trust that your valuation is going to hold up. You trust that there's nothing coming from the other side that's going to really turn it upside down. So it's easier to make deals with your Reds and Padres when you trust what's coming from the other side, whether subconsciously or not. So the pipeline thing always fascinates me. All right. Let's um, I, I think that, that that's going to be a fun watch. I think this off season um, we'll pick up the Lindor talk once we get Hattery back onto the podcast, uh, you know, um, big man on campus has a lot of big things to do. Don't worry. We'll be pulling him in pretty soon. Uh, maybe even that Frank Ryan fellow, you know, he keeps, Hacking at us and annoying us in texts. Frank, when you listen to this, I apologize, man. Not really. Usually I rip on Nomina here, but I'll save him for later. All right, let's switch. Um, real quick question, Gage. Who's playing second base for the Cleveland Indians? Jason Kipnis. 
Okay, you joke. You joke. Oh, but if no, you would have asked me the same question, I think I probably would have said the same thing. Do, they, do you think they're going to resign him to, like, some kind of, like, $5 million heavily, like, laden, like, incentive deal? I, you're, you're, you're discounting the Mike Freeman, the Mike Freeman love. Let's let's posit this a different way. If you had to put the odds on Jason Kipnis playing in April for the Indians at second base right now, where would you put it? Oh boy. Uh, Percentage. I, I I the first number that popped into my head was seven to two. I'm gonna back off of that. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ten to one. Not quite. Not quite the favorite. Um, but still still pretty high up there. I'll say ten to one. I'd say. I'd say I'd, I'm 70% in the park that Jason Kipnis has not made his last sneaker throw over the fence. Yeah. I was thinking 30 to 40%. Well, let me ask you something. When they look for infielders to kind of fill in gaps, like what's the age range where they look? How old is Jason Kipnis? Um, 30, what is he, 32? 33? No, he just kind of had, and this is going to be a, he had a bad enough season to make teams forget about him after a couple down years, but a good enough season to make him an an interesting flyer. And I'm not trying to be a Jason Kipnis homer here, but (laughs) I I sat there and backed him. I, I thought there was more in his tank. It really fizzled. But as far as like a incentive laden deal, like I think there's going to be some demand there. And the one name I want to throw out there who I'm rooting for to take this off season and into spring training and propel himself is Christian Arroyo. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent. Like in an ideal world, he goes, uh, he just looks really smooth and hits some balls hard in spring training. And, they just give him and say, Christian, I think he has an option still. I, I don't want to be misquoted on that, but I, I think he still does. Christian, we're giving you the month of April. Go out there and win that job or else we can get – and I, I should have looked this up. I really don't know if he has an option. But either way, just a nice little trial for Christian Arroyo, who they acquired from the Rays just uh, about a month before the trade deadline, was it? Yep. Yeah, I mean, injury problems, obviously. Not sure how healthy he's going to be. Um, but I think that they got him for a very specific reason. I mean, I think I think that, you know, we talked about this in a podcast, actually. You know, who is going to be the guy, who is going to be the middle infielder flyer that they were going to take uh, to match some of the other moves that they've made in the past, the Oscar Mercado deal being the one that's most fresh. Um, we talk about these pipelines and... Um, these kind of these types of players that the Indians like like shoot for, and and Oscar Mercado being kind of a high IQ guy that they've obviously you know I, I don't know if Brantley's the model for that, but um, they 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 brought him in obviously obviously they saw something in him and I think Christian Arroyo does fit that. Um, he's exactly what we were talking about in one of those podcasts. Um, they didn't bring him in for no reason, and, and I mean until until this year, I mean he was considered one of the top 100 prospects in all baseball for a couple of different um, seasons. I don't know. I mean, he, he seems about as good as any. I, I just think that, you know, and this is where we get into this really hairy conversation of the front office versus, you know, Francona. 
you know, is what's the hurdle for a guy like Arroyo to get the get the get the job out of spring training? And that hurdle is Terry Francona. You know, I mean, do you think that Arroyo is the type of player that impresses Francona enough to beat out, say, a Mike Freeman or um, you know, any one of those, you know, 30 to 35 year old middle infielders that he seems to love. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to steal any thunder from, you know, any smart guys on Twitter that I know, or, you know, via text, but there's this one guy who keeps mentioning the Terry Francona disease is that Terry Francona keeps trying to sign Terry Francona. Can't remember who it was. It said, Oh wait, it was you. I mean, I'm sorry, Gage. I'm still waiting. I, I mean, this is the piece that will rock the world. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, is might Arroyo fit that? I mean, or is he too? Does he got too much pedigree? Uh, well, he's too young I mean, for one. Are we talking about his pedigree or? <laughs> I'm not talking about Terry. I don't want to talk about Terry Francona's pedigree at any point. I'm All trying right. to avoid that. I'm sorry. So, I apologize to myself for bringing that up. I, I misspoke about Arroyo. He does not have any options. So yeah. that'll probably be the main deterrent, even if he has a good spring from him making the MLB roster on day one, right? Yeah. So. I mean, it depends who's on that, who's on the roster. I mean, it, it, what do we, but, but I mean, I mean, already you're looking at the 40 man having uh, Freeman, Freeman on it. Chang possibly. I mean, Chang is Chang out of options too. I think so. Uh, I mean, are we at that point with with Chang? Maybe not. Maybe not. He might have one. Um, but you're looking at you're looking at Freeman, Chang, uh, and and Arroyo as being the three guys, right? Oh, well, don't discount the odds of Ryan Flaherty creeping back in. Oh, oh God. No, Chang has <laughs> one say, option. Did you left. just say Terry Francona? I'm sorry. What did you say? Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, Ryan Flaherty in many different languages is actually Terry Francona. If we move the numbers, or first of all, whoever listens to this, the twelve or thirteen people that listen to this, put Ryan Flaherty down, put all the letters down, and move around, see if you can spell Terry Francona. <laughs> <laughs> so, not to diverge, but. There's another interesting name I kind of want to throw out there that is 34 years old as a second base option, and his value peaked at age 33, and that's Eric Sogart. <laughs> he flipped over to Toronto, or I mean, from he started out the season in Toronto on a tear, and he went over to Tampa and still hit the ball. He he had a good year throughout all six months for the most part. He's 34 years old, and I'm wondering if teams are going to be so hesitant to give him any money, especially in the current climate of free agency the last couple of years where those middling types are just wholly unpredictable. He could he could get two for 20, or he could go get some random two for eight deal or something like that. Yeah. So the Indians are going to be – and I think they do a really good job of this, most notably on the Encarnacion deal. They know where their limits are for guys, and they will play ball until that lim- until they get to that limit or until they fall back into that limit. So those guys that creep around until late January, early February, 
like your if Sogard does or any bigger free agents, there the Indians have a number and they have a payroll number. And I, I don't think Antonetti is shy about going to Dolan and saying, "Hey, we need four million more dollars for this guy this year, right now." And I think that's a benefit of Dolan and Antonetti working together. I think they have a good relationship with those kind of things. But I, I do want to keep tabs on Eric Sogard and even like a Brian Dozier type that could just fill in a stopgap until maybe you can figure something else out in July. Or Plus, that's just how the Indians play ball. Well, is the fulcrum for second base discussion, though, you know, we haven't talked about him yet. Uh, the fulcrum for this discussion might be a guy like, not a guy like, I mean, it's Jose Ramirez, right? You know, he made, made he's already made several statements uh, heading into this offseason that he doesn't mind playing second base. And what he wants to avoid is bouncing back and forth from third to second. Uh, you know, we haven't talked about Nolan Jones either. And I think that, you know, you know, Hattery, you and I have been, Huge proponents of trying to get Nolan. I mean, I mean, I think probably if there was a if there was a any two people on the planet who wanted Nolan Jones playing third base for the Indians in September, it's probably the two guys talking in this podcast right now. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned uh, Terry Francona playing. I mean, Flaherty playing third. You know, is what Jose Ramirez does in spring training going to be the keynote to what Nolan Jones is going to be doing in in 2020? I mean it. It seems to me that if Jose Ramirez starts off the season at third base, Nolan Jones isn't playing Major League Baseball at third base for the Indians in 2020. Am I right? I mean, or is Francona <laughs> is Francona going to move him to second in the middle of the year regardless of what Jose Ramirez wants? Which makes no sense, especially considering the type of season he had this year in 2019, uh, how long it took him to warm up, you know, getting dinged quite a bit this year, you know, Obviously, keeping Lindor happy and keeping Lindor healthy is probably, not, I'm sorry, Ramirez healthy and happy is probably a route that Francona might want to take. Um, is 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 all of this second base talk really hinging around what they do with a guy like Jose Ramirez? I mean, is he going to play second base? Is he going to play third base? And yeah, I think there's a, I think that question where he said he was open to playing but didn't want to jump was the precursor to another question. Because they can say they can say, "Hey Jose, you want are you willing to play either?" He said, "Yeah, I just don't want to jump." But I still think there's a for, there's a follow up from the Indians that isn't be, that isn't going to get reported that says, "Okay, which one would you rather play?" And that that's going to factor into the decision. Regard, I can't, I wouldn't, I'd be hard pressed to believe that that question is not being asked and that Jose doesn't have a preference. So. I mean, I- I think, and I, I think I know the answer to that question. And I mean, I don't know what you're thinking, but I, I mean, what are you thinking? Like, what, what preference do you think? I mean, I, I don't know that I would have said this two years ago, but I, I kind of think third base is his preference at this point. He seems comfortable there. Yes. And he, he's turned himself, and I think this is understated, but he's turned himself into a really good third baseman. Oh, don't be careful. Some bloggers will come after you with some uh, defensive run save oh, metrics. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. So, I have it on Twitter a lot, Gage. Come on, don't don't pull me don't pull me in. Don't I'll pull come me after in. you with a thirty inning defensive run save sample size, okay? <laughs> so, 
And so will you protect yourself by saying small sample size alert, but I'm going to say it anyways. Yes. <laughs> the staple of bloggers everywhere, including myself. I'm sure yeah, I've said yeah, that. Yeah, I know. I, now, I, now I've got some people loading up all of my small sample size alerts, but sorry. Okay, I digress. Go ahead. So let, even with that, with that caveat in mind that there's probably a preference there that isn't being under-discussed and being discussed by Jose in the front office, when I sat there and I thought about optimizing the Indians' August 2020 lineup, I couldn't do so without Nolan Jones at third base. There, there's just too much unknown, and maybe there's a second baseman that becomes available in June that comes over and makes this sound silly and stupid, but I'm that high on Nolan Jones, and I'm that low on the prospects of finding somebody to be an above-average second baseman. So bearing in mind that Jose might, in fact, want to play third base, so they might just keep him keep him there, I've always kind of leaned towards let's stopgap third base and just create that spot for Nolan in June. And, like, I think you've made this point to me. There's probably more adequate second baseman available, but – I don't want to adequate. I, I don't want to shoot for that. I want to. I want to set the sights a little bit higher. And Nolan Jones learning at third base with the stud at second base and shortstop just sounds pretty appealing to me. Well, I think. I mean, I think the Indians, you know, current construct, and and I'm certainly not making a case for, you know, Freeman, Flaherty, whatever. But you know, you already mentioned, you know, guys like Arroyo who can play third base. I mean, the neat thing about Arroyo is I think he's an adept infielder, period. Like, he's a guy defensively who can, you know, be that flex guy, short in a pinch, can play second, can play third, um, which makes him so valuable. But then you also look at a guy like uh, Ernie Clement, who, you know, is, is kind of flying up, and he, he struggled a bit in the Arizona Fall League this year. But, you know, looking back to Lindor coming up, you know, they – they uh, prepped shortstop for Lindor by bringing up Jose Ramirez as a shortstop. You know, you could even see a Clement come up, but that could be a Royo spot as well. I think, I think this this beginning this beginning play. You know, the hope for me is that we see some of these younger guys fill in some of these role roles early in the season, as opposed to, you know, maybe bringing back a, a you know a Jason Kipnis and and you know I'm with you on the Kip. You know, kind of coming full circle with Kipnis. You know, he's this is a guy I followed. You know. 2010, I was following this guy in the minors, and you know, for 10 years, I, you know, you followed a guy like Jason Kipnis, and um, you kind of reeled me back into the Kipnis camp this year, and and you know, while the season certainly wasn't spectacular by any stretch, and um, you know, obviously for the amount of money that he made this year, you know, it could have had a much better season, but uh, it's kind of tough to see a guy that you followed for 10 years kind of head off into the sunset. So, you know, whatever happens to Jason Kipnis, good luck to him. You know, maybe he'll end up playing for the Cubs. <laughs> where he so he can live so he can live you know in the basement of mom and dad's house i don't know all right um let's kind of wrap things up here i, I do want to ask you a couple more things uh you know I, well just to kind of end that conversation where where do you think jose ramirez starts the season uh third base i think that the one caveat there is that i think there's a one move middle of the season that would still fall under the constructs of I just want to play one position. I think he can make a move to second, May, June, July, 
and it still be okay as long as it's not I'm moving to second, Nolan Jones gets hurt, I'm moving back to third. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. I think Nolan Jones is with this club July earlier. June. Uh, all right. All right. That that'll uh, that'll get him past the that'll get a past the super two. So, all right. Um, let's look at at, at at one last piece to this puzzle um, before we head off into the sunset and save some stuff for for Hattery the next time he pops on board. Um, let's look at the outfield really quick, just really quick. And this could be a five hour conversation. Um, you know. I'm going to start from the back end of this, and I'm going to, I'm going to t- take a look at a guy like Daniel Johnson uh, who did everything you want a prospect to do to earn his way to the majors, which I'm, I'm shockingly going to say, and I, I think he makes the 40-man and all of that, but um, does he play in the outfield for the Indians in 2020? Yes. Who does he bump? I think he's a placeholder for Naquin. Interesting. Interesting. I, 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 I got to tell you, like, the Indians outfield is so interesting to me. I mean, is Mercado for real? You know, you've got all of these, you know, Fran Mil Reyes, is he going to play in right? I mean, so so there's a guy that very clearly to me, the field management wants to put him in the field. Um, You know, if he's playing right field next year, even for a bit, like, someone's got to go. It's a wealth of mediocrity. <laughs> Potent- well, wealth of potential mediocrity. Oh, yeah. Uh, minus Oscar. Old. Oscar stole stole a place in my heart this past year. But because something you've always said, I, I want to hit on this real quick. And kind of like Travis Sochik with his book and just talking yeah. about the PD side, the player development aspect, how – you can project players all you want, but the player controls their development and they have the tools, especially in 2019 with cameras and data to make any jumps that within their power. So, and Oscar Mercado is a guy who changed his whole swing structure and just rebooted himself. So if this was a year one of the reboot or year two ish, I can't wait to see year three. So then you got you you lock him into a spot, and then you have Daniel Johnson, Tyler Naquin when he gets back from injury, Jordan Luplo, uh, Jake Bowers, just a wealth of hopeful mediocrity. <laughs> All right, I think that's a great place to end in a season in which we did not make the playoffs. We'll stop there. Um, Gage, it's been a lot of fun. Like I've got like 80 other things I want to talk about, but you know, I don't want Hattery to be sad. Mike, don't be sad, dude. Well, if we get 10 people to listen to this, maybe we can do it again. All right, let's see. So here's the deal. Uh, as I wrap things up, I haven't done this in a long time. Um, I don't even remember how to upload this to where we upload things. So uh, find us. We are literally on every single podcasting venue. At least I think we. I don't think they've kicked us off yet. Uh, you know, find us on iTunes. Give us those five stars. We actually have quite a few five stars. I'd love to see us get to at least fifty. Um, you, you start five star us. We'll make more of these. Uh, as Mike said today, when he 
tried to podcast but had other things to do, um, we've got to get the ball rolling, and, and that's exactly what we're doing here. So, uh, you know, with the World Series ending tonight, uh, it's a good time for us to kind of kick into gear. Uh, honestly, some of our funnest discussions are the ones that we have here in the off season. So it should be, gosh, I hope it's somewhat interesting. We didn't even get to talk about the contracts that might be extended or added, but that's for another day. So, Mike, when you listen to this, start thinking about who the Indians are going to sign long term. A couple of them you might like. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Um, I'm going to let you plug because I think I know what you're going to say. Anything you want to plug, Gage? We haven't been writing a ton, but we're going to. But I think there's probably at least one piece out there on the internets that you might want to plug. Well, first I want to plug that Howie Kendrick just put uh, the Nationals up three to two in the seventh with a two-run homer. Kidding me? <laughs> so the Nationals are insane. This is, this is. I mean, they literally have pulled me. I swore I wasn't going to watch a single playoff game. The Nationals have literally pulled me into every single playoff series that they've been in. A bunch of like baseball guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. I do, I do want to plug Mitch Crawl's piece over at Waiting for Next Year. If you want a 40-man roster breakdown, this guy went above and beyond on it. And I'm only a little hesitant about plugging it because I'm pretty jealous of his ability to put that one through. That, that was a, just a tremendous piece if you're looking for... You know what pisses me off about that piece? You know what pisses me off, Mitch? Here's what you've done. Here's what you've done, Mitch. Here's what you've done. So there are things that Gage does well. There's things that Mike does well. There's things that I do well. Like I'm reading this piece today and I'm thinking, this bastard has done all of the things. (laughs) Like it makes me kind of angry. It makes me kind of want to write again. Like, you know, here's a guy, you know, I love writing my 3,000 word pieces. And as I started scrolling through this, I was like, did I write this? (laughs) I'm like, what the heck? Like, and, and I'm like, and I will say this, you know, WFNY has done a nice job, um, you know, filling in the gap with with some fantastic uh, baseball writing specific for from Mitch. So I'm gonna I'm gonna follow your your plug with a follow up plug. Like this this 40 man roster piece is absolutely outstanding. And Mitch, I pointedly pointedly stayed away from it, um, so that you know, say you were to podcast someday. Maybe someone from this podcast, um, you'll have, I mean, this is a great starting point. So if you haven't read Mitch's piece, um, that's where the plugs are going to go. Oh, yeah. And by the way, there will be a written piece to go along with this podcast. So I don't know who's going to write it, but if you heard it, chances are probably good you read it. So I think the goal, Gage, is to write again. I think maybe we're going to try to write again. I'm feeling the itch. We're going we're gonna to get some content out there at Everyone Hates Cleveland. Yeah, I, I apologize because without this podcast, I think we would have had some gauge musings for tomorrow. But um, I think with the World Series, I think we're ready to start writing. We'll, uh, we'll, you know, we'll passively, aggressively push Hattery into writing as well. So, and who knows? Maybe AHC will grow. Maybe that's our thing. 2019, 2020, instead of three guys, maybe we'll be four, five, ten, or maybe just three. I don't know. <laughs> Probably just All right. three. <laughs> All right, we're gonna close up shop. Uh, tune in to Everyone Hates C- uh, Cleveland, the podcast. Give us the likes, you know. You want us to talk about something on Twitter. You know, there's like 12 of you that listen to this thing, so let us know what that is. All right? All right? Go Tribe. Go Nats. Peace. I have no idea how to shut this off. No idea. 
Hold on. Your laptop. Have a good night, everybody.